You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Elliot and the team, uh, for leading us in worship. Uh, I've said on occasion that when we worship with hearts open to a God who loves us, there is like this rightful reordering of the cosmos. (laughs) And I don't think that's too small a description. It's a rightful reordering because in our minds, in our hearts, we we acknowledge that that God is king of all (laughs) and that he loves us. And we take our place at his feet and we lift up his name because he alone is worthy. And we know that he's worthy because he he didn't leave us in our darkness, in our sin. He sent his son Jesus to rescue us from all that plagues humanity. And he's made way for us to be reconciled to the giver of life. That's why we're here. It's why we worship week after week because he is worthy and he always has new things for us. And so I'm delighted to be here, church. If, if you're new or a, a visitor with us this morning, my name is Keith, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we're just thankful you're here. Uh, uh, over the last uh, month, in the month of January, we had been talking about the Jaffrey offering. It's an offering that we receive kind of on a yearly basis because we want to see the glory and story of Jesus brought to people across the world who have never heard about his love and grace. And so I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being part of this. I want to thank you for being a church that is committed to see Jesus' story brought to people who haven't heard it before. Uh, And and so just the update, uh, we were able to, you gave uh, almost $12,000. It was $11,710 and a a bit more to, to the work of the gospel moving across our world. So bless you. Thank you. I've been at this church for for nine years, and I just want to say... uh, There is such faithfulness in this place. Thank you for your commitment to be gospel people and things like this. Your presence actually carries the gospel. So thank you for being here. And thank you for being gospel people long after we leave these doors. Because we know it's not about just about this. Yes, we worship here, but we worship God as we move across his city to carry his glory and story. So thank you. It's great to be part of this endeavor with you. We've been looking at the book of Jonah uh, over, uh, for the month of January, and, and we've been looking at this book because we want to consider God's redemptive mission in the world, and we want to see how we can join him in it. And today we come to the halfway point in the book. Uh, where we, we, we come to the, this halfway point. And in the first half of the book, in chapters 1 and 2, God has commissioned Jonah to go and preach to, to a city that is known for its wickedness, the city of Nineveh. And so God commissions him to go and preach, but Jonah runs the opposite direction. And so God then sends a storm and an obedient fish in order to rescue Jonah from his own rebellion. And there in the darkness of, of, of the fish, Jonah's heart turns even just a little bit toward God. And as his heart turns, he finds himself on solid ground once again. And then God's word comes to him as we start the second half 
of his story, God's word comes again to him and essentially says, okay, Jonah, let's try this again. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. We'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 10. Uh, it's, uh, if you have a pew Bible, it's, uh, it's closer to the back than to the front. You'll be able to flip through that and find it. Jonah chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I, gave you, I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus. There are words in here that feel unfamiliar to us or ones we'd rather run from. There are questions that arise, Jesus. And so we want to bring the fullness of who we are into the fullness of your truth. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to your church. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to every human heart. And that Jesus, having heard your word, having received your word into our hearts, may you transform us and make us a people for your name. And so, Jesus, we were just praying that your gospel would take root in us once again as your truth becomes clear. So, Jesus, do your work through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jonah chapter 3 is kind of like playing golf with a novice like me. Jonah takes a mulligan. Any golfers out there? Right? He, he gets a do-over in chapter 3. Verses 1 to 2, they begin. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember, the first time didn't go so well. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. The first time didn't go well, and so this time, Jonah, he, he obeys God. He goes to Nineveh. Now, Jonah chapter 3 
The whole chapter serves a particular function in the flow of the overarching story. It, it, in effect, it contrasts Jonah, who is a worshiper of God, a worshiper of Yahweh, contrasts him with the Ninevites, the evil Ninevites, who, who are not worshipers of Yahweh. It contrasts the so-called faithful with the unfaithful. And in the end, the surprise is that it's the unfaithful who are painted in a positive light. Where Jonah ran from God, the evil Ninevites run toward him. Where Jonah resisted, the Ninevites turned without hesitation. There's a deep irony at play in Jonah chapter 3, and in fact, through the entire book. The undercurrent of Jonah 3 is, is the humbling of, of these religious elites who look down their noses at outsiders of the faith. We need to pay attention. The book shows us, that, that, or this chapter in particular, shows us that every human being has the capacity for both good and evil. That God's mercy extends to the faithful and the unfaithful alike. And that he invites each and every one of us to turn our lives over to the God who loves us and loves the world he made. Even the animals, the creation. We hear it in the story. Now, there are a great many things going on in Jonah chapter 3, but this morning I really want to help focus your attention on the three movements that we see about God's redemptive mission in the world. In this text, there are three movements of God's redemption in his redemptive mission in the world. And that's really where I want to invite you to, 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 to focus your attention. Because when we see these movements of God's mission, they become his invitation to us to join him in the work he's doing. Okay, so what does Nineveh teach us about God's mission? Now, the thrust of an answer comes in God's word that is spoken to the city. And, and, and the beginning, it, it might surprise you. Look at verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming the word that God gave him. And it was this. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned, overthrown. It's quite the message, right? In the original Hebrew language... God's message here is five simple words. Five simple words. Forty more days, Nineveh overturned. That's how it looked in the Hebrew language. It's, it's what people would have heard. Five words. Forty more days, Nineveh overturned. God sends Jonah into the city of Nineveh with a five-word sermon. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, everything beyond my first five words, this is value-added for, for, for everyone. I mean, if it was just a five-word sermon, we would be, we'd be on to lunch already, which is a bit early, uh, or we would be up. Uh, I know Aaron Soifer would be up at uh, Big White uh, Ski in the Powder right now. Um, I have more than five words. I've never done anything in five words, have I, Gina? No, <laughs> never. <laughs> five-word sermon. Forty more days, Nineveh overturned. And now, I'm sure that, that part of Jonah was delighted to speak this message. Because you remember, Nineveh was a wicked empire. They were a threat to Jonah, to his life, and to his people. 
They were a threat to all the nations that surrounded them. They were even a threat to one another. You see, Nineveh ruled by fear and force. They slaughtered and enslaved their enemies. They oppressed the poor among them. They acted with hatred and violence even toward one another, neighbor to neighbor. We see that in the text. And frankly, we don't mind words of judgment directed at people like that, do we? Especially if people like that have hurt us. But before we dismiss Nineveh altogether, we have to take notice, like we did in the first chapter of Jonah, that we have the heart of Nineveh in each one of us. We treat the poor and the marginalized, the people on the street with contempt. We look down our noses. We, we live with hostility toward others who look different than we do. We treat them as enemy. The other is enemy. We cause division. We hold grudges with people like our neighbors, maybe who hold different political views than we do. Or maybe they cheer for the Calgary Flames. <laughs> Jesus, save us from the flames. Nineveh isn't an evil city out there somewhere. It's a culture that resides in the heart of every human person, in me, in, in you, in, in us. And the book of Jonah isn't about drawing a line between us and them. It's about seeing them in us. It's about our common brokenness, our shared brokenness. It's about our common and shared need for rescue. And so, Jonah walks this day's journey into the wicked city of Nineveh, and he speaks God's five-word message. Forty more days, Nineveh overturned. It's the kind of message you would expect to hear in an oppressive city, in a, in a violent city. And if you're the one living under the oppressive thumb, it's the message you long to hear. It's a word of divine judgment. A word that holds perpetrators of evil to account. A word that says God will not continue to turn a blind eye for the wrong that has been done, the wrong we've caused. And quite frankly, church, it's a word that we all really need. Forty more days, Nineveh overturned. And surely this is what Nineveh would have heard when Jonah preached God's five-word message, a word of, of warning, a word of God's judgment against sin. It's what they would have heard. But they would have heard something else too. You see, the fifth word in Jonah's sermon is the word overturned, and it actually has a double meaning. It's the Hebrew word, hafak, hafak. Uh, I needed to practice that a lot so I wouldn't say something really rude uh, here this morning. It has a double meaning. God's message is 40 more days, Nineveh, hafak. And the word means overturned, overthrown, destroyed. Of course, this would have been the predominant thing that people would have heard. 40 more days, Nineveh, destroyed. But the word carried another more subtle meaning when it was heard. It means changed, transformed, 
made new. It was the word that you used when you talked about changing a bed. (laughs) Forty more days, Nineveh made new. In Jonah's five-word sermon, we're left with this question. When we hear it the way that I think it was intended to be heard, we hear we're left with a question. Will Nineveh be destroyed or transformed? Will the wicked be overturned or made new? Is this a word of judgment or a word of hope, a word of grace? This is the question that hangs in the air of Jonah chapter 3. And church, it's the question that hangs in the air for every single one of us. And in this question, and all that unfolds in Nineveh, we see three, these three key movements of God's mission. His mission to rescue and restore broken people who live in a broken world. There are three movements to God's mission we see in this chapter. So what are they? Well, first, we see that God is on a mission to overturn evil. He's on a mission to overturn the sin that resides in every human heart. Sometimes we say the word evil and we think, well, that's something else. <laughs> but there's, there's stuff that resides in our heart that, that is evil. It's, it's in opposition to God. And God is on a mission to overturn the evil. The story of Nineveh reminds us that God is not willing to, to, to let our, our sin and our evil run amok. That, that he is... Uh, uh, that he is on a mission to over, overturn our sin. And get this, God overturns our sin not by ignoring it. It's not a strategy. His strategy isn't to ignore uh, what is wrong in us and in our world. And his strategy isn't to simply brush it under the carpet. His strategy is to confront it head on in the fullness of light with the fullness of love. At the heart of God's redemptive mission is a judgment for sin. Why? Because sin and evil are inherently destructive. They destroy God's good creation. They degrade and corrupt and rot. They hurt and maim. I mean, think about it. Injustice. Greed. Slander. And sexual impurity or exploitation, gossip, unforgiveness. Can anything good grow under these conditions? Can relationships grow? Can people flourish? Of course not. Sin destroys the self and it destroys others. It destroys even the earth that God has entrusted to us. But God does not leave his good creation to be destroyed unaware. He intervenes. Forty more days. Nineveh overturned. Sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our mind around a God who gets angry. I don't know about you, but but I have a hard time with that, wrapping my head around it, because we know that God is loving. (laughs) We know that he's loved us. We know that because we see it in Jesus Christ. 
And so sometimes we think an angry God is just out of character, or, or we sort of caricature it and sort of say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the God of the New Testament, and we're trying to figure out how these things put together. We have a hard time with the concept of a God who gets angry. Is that true for you? But here's the thing. If God really is good, wouldn't it be wrong to simply let Nineveh and all those who have Nineveh in their hearts continue to walk the path of destruction? Not very loving. Imagine there are two children who are happily playing with some blocks in the room. (laughs) They're each building a, a tower of their own, and they're not too concerned with what the other child is building because they're caught up in a world of their own. And imagine that you're there and you're the, the parent. You're watching your kids play. You're delighting in, in, in what they're building. But then you see one of the children reach for a block, and as he does, he notices that his sister is also building a tower. And that tower has many blocks, beautiful blocks, blocks that are big and have lots of colors, blocks that he can use to build his own tower. And so what does the child do? He gets up and he smashes the tower and takes the blocks for his own. I mean, imagine the moment. But pay attention to what happens inside of you, the parent. What happens inside of you? What is your reaction? Well, I want to suggest there are two. You have two reactions that happen simultaneously. First, your heart breaks with anger because of what has been done. But that's not all. Your heart also breaks with compassion because of the harm that's been caused to another. In other words, both anger and compassion, they coexist. And both anger and compassion, they're born out of what? They're born out of your love for your children. This is how God responds to the sin of the world. It's how he responds to to your sin, to my sin. His love compels him to intervene and to set right what we've done wrong. He will not brush it under the carpet. He will not ignore it because that only ends in disaster, destruction, death. You see, God isn't a distant being waiting for us to step out of line so that that he can punish us. Rather, God sees that sin is already punishing us. He sees how our choices, they sometimes hurt other people and they hurt ourselves and he is resolved to intervene. And so he confronts us. It's his step of intervention. He confronts us and calls us out on our stuff and that's not punishment. It's love. God's judgment in and of itself is a profound love. It's the love that says, look, you're on a road to destruction, and I don't want you to keep running down it anymore. But if you do, if you insist on running, what am I to do? I can only turn you over to the very destruction you're running toward. Forty more days. Nineveh overturned. God's redemptive mission begins with God's word intended to overturn the sin that holds us in darkness. And we need to hear his word. 
And maybe this morning, this is where God's mission needs to land in your life. That you need to hear his word to you, his love-motivated rebuke. It says, look, it's time to stop ignoring. You can't brush this one under the carpet. It's time to stop making excuses. Because Jesus says, I've, I've come to do something, something new, if you're willing. It's the first thing we see about God's redemptive mission in the world, that Jesus comes, or God comes to overcome sin. But there's something else that we see about God's mission in Jonah's five-word sermon. We see that God looks to overturn sin by transforming the sinner. It's the second meaning of hafak that the, the, the Ninevites would have heard in Jonah's story. Forty more days, Nineveh made new, transformed, changed. You see, God could eradicate evil from his good world by simply eradicating evil people. It's a strategy. Makes sense. But it's not what he does. Because God has a much greater love for us than that. He treats us with a much greater dignity than that. See, God sets about eradicating evil from the world, not by destroying the wicked, but by forgiving them in Jesus Christ. And then setting about their transformation, their heart transformation. It's like the Apostle Peter says, the Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance so that we might have life in Christ. Which, in many ways, is what Nineveh does next. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them, from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. When faced with a choice, the people of Nineveh, they chose repentance. They chose to step off their path to destruction and step onto God's path to transformation. God's mission begins with his word to overturn sin. But when that word is received, when we turn our lives to him, that word moves into the human heart to make us new. It's the second movement of God's mission. He moves into our heart in order to make us new, to make us more like him. Now, throughout history, there have been these great moments uh, in history where, where, where God has kind of peeled back the curtain, uh, as Chris was saying this morning, and he's revealed his glory. He's poured his spirit out to a mass amount of people, hundreds of thousands of people in a short amount of time. I'm thinking about the great revivals that have, have swept across various parts of the world, in America and Great Britain, across Europe and, and Korea. And you know what each of these revivals have in common? The one thing that they all have in common isn't simply the fact that the Spirit of God came upon a people and transformed them in a mighty way. The one thing they all have in common is that they all really began with repentance. Well, sometimes we long for the Spirit of God to visit us. Not visit, He's always there. <laughs> 
We long for the Spirit of God to, to, our awareness for him to come upon us in a new way. We long for that, but we don't want repentance. But if we learn anything from history, that it's when people fall on their knees before the living God of the universe, he's so faithful and just. He's merciful to pour out his grace and his spirit upon us afresh in mighty ways to change us, to make us new. It's how our life with Jesus begins. He takes our heart of stone, our hearts of Nineveh, and he makes them into a heart of flesh through the power of his Holy Spirit. But only when we come to him. God is on mission to transform us into the image of, uh, of himself, but that only happens when we turn our hearts wholly toward him. It's his mission. It's what was happening in, in the city of Nineveh. And now the text, it, it doesn't tell us so much about that moment of repentance. There's not a lot of information. It simply says, the Ninevites believed God. <laughs> Jonah did this whole runaround to try and get away, but simply when God's word came to Nineveh, we're given this sentence, the Ninevites believed God. But I want you to see what happens next. It's the third movement of God's mission. As people repent, something remarkable happens. It wasn't simply that their hearts were transformed. The entire city was transformed. This wasn't simply something that happened in the privacy of their own hearts. It's something that spilled out into the people and the systems and the city around them. A city that was once ordered by rich and poor in Nineveh, ordered by powerful and weak, king and subjects, oppressor and oppressed, was now brought to the same level on bended knee in repentance. It's a remarkable picture. The text tells us that from the greatest to the least, they humbled themselves before God. What a picture of a city. In God's kingdom, there are no divisions, just repentant sinners bowing before the throne of God together. Striking. In God's kingdom, no one looks down their nose at another person. Because you can't look down your nose on someone when you're kneeling next to them. It's remarkable. In God's kingdom, the powerful do not crush the weak because they kneel next to them in solidarity. This is the kingdom that Jesus comes to, to free us into. The text says, from the greatest to the least, they repented. And we're told that this repentance transforms the entire city. We see it mostly in verse 8. We're told that the king calls for this collective fast across all of the land to call upon God and for the people of the city to give up their evil ways and their violence toward one another. The city was changing. The policies were changing. Neighbors were being reconciled to one another. The poor were being cared for. Walls of hostility were falling down. It's the third movement of God's redemptive mission in the world. He's on mission to overturn evil. He's on mission to transform the human heart. 
And he's on mission to make all things new. To restore broken systems. To restore broken cities. Relationships. In Nineveh's case, the, the, the brokenness was a broken city that was made new. It was a city full of the oppressed, uh, of oppression and violence. A, a city full of, of warring neighbors and people looking out for themselves. But God's redemption extends to all kinds of broken systems and all kinds of broken relationships. And I wonder which ones he's asking you to pay attention to. Broken marriages? Broken families? Broken workplaces? With bosses who exploit or co-workers who, who gossip? Broken governments, broken countries, broken churches. God is on mission to take everything that's broken and make it new. And heaven knows we need it. So here's what Nineveh shows us about God's redemptive mission in the world. God comes to each one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've run away, he comes to each of us to overturn sin, to transform our hearts, and to heal our broken systems. And church, that word of God, that word took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of God's mission. Jesus came to overcome our sin by taking that sin upon himself and nailing it to the cross. Jesus suffers God's judgment for sin on our behalf. And having paid our penalty, when we turn our lives wholly to him, when we repent, he forgives us. And in his forgiveness, it's like the vessel of our life is wiped clean and pure through his sacrifice. And with that purifying power, his very word now makes his home within us through his Holy Spirit. He makes us new. He transforms our life. And as he does the deeper work in us, that very word of God, alive within us, he invites us. More than that, he empowers us to be part of his redemptive mission of making all things new to the people around us. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the calling of the church. It is our vocation. It's the greatest thing you could ever spend your life on because it's the road to life. And so let me ask you, church, where are you on the journey of joining God's mission in the world today? Which of these three movements? Which of these three movements of God's mission is Jesus stirring in your heart today? Maybe it's all three. <laughs> but which of these movements is God asking you to pay attention to you? Because I believe that if we pay attention to the movement that God is inviting us into, it is our way of joining his redemptive mission in the world. Because every single one of them is on his heart to make us new. And so what's Jesus inviting you to today?
Christ has come to overturn your sin. Christ has come to transform your heart. Christ has come to make all things new. Will you join him? Let's pray. Jesus, you have the words of life. They're true. They can be trusted. Jesus, even in this moment, maybe there is a word you need to speak to individual human hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to your people. Jesus, some of us here today need to hear your word of rebuke because you're not willing to let destruction be swept under the carpet. And so, Holy Spirit, speak. Spirit, some of us are, are here like we're on bended knee in repentance and saying, Jesus, I need you to fill me with something new. I need, I need, I need you to change my heart. I, I, I need a fresh touch of your spirit. So, Spirit, speak. And there are others here today, Jesus, that that have a burden for a broken system, something broken in our world. Maybe it's in their home or their workplace or their school or, or our city or the world beyond Jesus. We pray even you'd speak through a burden. And that you'd invite us into the fullness of your mission for your glory, Jesus. We're your people. We turn to you because you hold the keys to life.